0: We started this series on the book of Second, First and Second Samuel back last year, and now we're at the end of the book, and we're in the conclusion. So last week we started the conclusion. And we said this conclusion was like a, a sandwich. and we, so we started with the outside of the sandwich last week and looking at chapter 21 and, and considering chapter 24. And we saw sin, and we saw the solution to sin. Blood had to be shed, and that led us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we're moving inside the sandwich a layer, and we have two passages about David's mighty men. So hear the word of God this morning. We're going to start in Second Samuel 21, verse 15 through 22. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary, and Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, Gim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war again at Gath where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now turn with me to chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 8 and read to the end of the chapter. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua, Bathshebeth, a Tachimanite, he was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, and he defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about the harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, "'Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate.'" And the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeriah, was chief of the thirty And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Zeal, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name beside the three mighty men. And he was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. Azahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shaman of Herod, Laika of Herod, Helez the Paltite, Ira the son of Ickish of Tekoa, Ebiaser of Anatoth, Mabunai the Hushathite, Zalman the Ahohite, Merai of Netopha, Heleb the son of Beana of Netopha, Ittai the son of Ribai of Gabeah of the people of Benjamin, Benea of Pirithon, Hidai the brooks of Gaash, Abai Albon the Arbathite, Azmathath of Bahrum, Eliabah, the Shalbanite, and the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, Shamon the Herethite, Ahiam the son of Sherar, the Harthite, Hararite, Eliphet, the son of Ahashbi, of Maacah, Eliam the son of Ahithophel, of Gilo, Hezro, of Carmel, and Pariah, the Arbite, Igil, the son of Nathan, Zobah, Bani, the Gadite, Zelik, the Ammonite, Nahari, of Beeroth, the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zeriah, Ira the Ithrite, Garib the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. Let's pray. Oh Father, we we know you as the God of David from this book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, and you are a great God. A God who draws near to his people and gives great victory to his people, routing enemies and pushing them aside. You trained David's hands for war and readied his fingers for the battle. That's what Psalm 144 verse one says, and we believe that these words even apply to us. You have trained us for battle and prepared our fingers for war. No, Father, we want to be a people who engage in the battle. We do not want to be like Israel when they fled from the Philistines time and time again. We want to be like these holy men who stood their ground and waged the war. And we know we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and you have given us great weapons, not swords or spears, but your word and the power of the Spirit. And Father, we long to take our place beside these men and wage war for your kingdom. And so would you be pleased this morning as we look into your word and these great men that you would spur us on. That as we look into these names and these deeds that you would change our hearts, that you would give us eyes of faith and that you would stiffen our spines and that you would give us hands ready to do the deeds you set before us. And so we ask this morning that you would do this for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. And so I confess to you this morning, I have been looking forward to preaching these two passages. When you think about preaching through 1 and 2 Samuel, you think about preaching some of these patches is like David and Goliath and when Jonathan faced the garrison of the Philistines and then these lists. These are glorious. And so in these lists, we find a bunch of unpronounceable names and some awe-inspiring deeds. But I want to tell you that these two lists, we find at the end of the book of 2 Samuel, tell us something about our God. And it tells us this. Our God loves Courage. Our God loves courage. Benaiah the son of Johida, on a snowy day, went down into a pit and killed a lion. And these two lists tell us this, God loves that. Shamma the son of Agi, took his stand in a farm field full of lentils. The army fled from him, but he planted his feet in the ground, and he would not let his feet be moved, and he slayed man after man after man. And these texts tell us God loves that. Eliezer, the son of Dodo, stood with David when everyone else fled, and such was his determination that his sword became stuck to his hand, iron and flesh welded into one, and such was his victory that the army only had to come back and plunder the dead bodies. God loves that. Joshua, Bashabeth, took up his spear and in one battle killed 800 men. I can't even fathom how that would work. And these two lists tell us God loves that. Three unnamed men risked life and limb. They stormed the Philistine lines at Bethlehem, breaking through and taking water. They brought it back through those Philistine lines to David. And this text tells us God loves that. Abishai, Sibachai, Elhan, and Jonathan, the son of Shimei, these four men, they all slew giants. These texts tell us God loves that. You see what these two lists are doing at the end of First and Second Samuel. They are a celebration of what our God loves. Name after name, deed after deed reveals the heart of God to us. God loves courage and God puts these names and deeds before us because he says this, I prize these men and what these men did for the sake of my kingdom and king. And this means something for us. If God loves courage... God celebrates courage, we must then as God's people, as men and women of God, strive after courage with everything we have. So there's the call of this sermon, we must be men and women of courage. But as we think about it, this is not an easy call to obey. Courage is difficult, and I don't need to persuade you of this. I'm sure you can, if, if given a quiet minute or so, you can recall specific moments in your life when you did not keep that call of courage. It might have been a big thing in your life. It might have been a small thing. It might have been somewhere in between, but the call of courage came, and you, you pushed it aside. You knew the right thing to do. You, you knew what needed to be done, but you didn't do it. Maybe out of fear or embarrassment or shame or laziness, you did not heed the call to courage. And there is a reason why we all have a hard time with courage. And it has to do with our family history. And when I talk about our family history, I'm not talking about our mom and our dad, our grandpa and our grandma. I mean, we're going way back to the very beginning. We all share the same father, and his name is Adam. You see, Adam was a coward. God set him down in a land of delights, a holy and perfect place, and gave him a charge, work and keep the garden. Adam was to tend and and guard and watch over that place. But we know the story. We've read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Adam failed to keep that charge. The serpent, the great dragon himself, went into that garden. And while the serpent deceived Eve, what did Adam do? He stood by while this all happened. He failed to act. He failed to cast out the serpent. He failed to battle the dragon. And because Adam is our father, his failure has been stamped upon all of our hearts. If we could do this, if we could pop open our hearts and look at the internal wiring, we would all find that wired right into the circuits, we have this opposition to courage built right in. And this should make sense of our lives. It's for this reason that the fear of man carries so much weight in our hearts and the fear of God so little. Instead of acting with courage when the call comes, our our minds clutter with questions that paralyze us. We say, well, what would they say about me? What would they think about me? And all of a sudden, those questions carry the day in our mind. It's for this reason we're so prone to faithlessness. Doubts take control. It speaks supposed facts. It says it can't be done. It's just too difficult for you. The cost is it's way too high. Don't do it. And it's for this reason that courage is always an uphill battle for us. Always so. And so as we study the Bible, especially as we connect our story to Adam's story, we get a piece of bad news. We are all by nature cowards. And so as we look at these two lists at the end of 2 Samuel, they're speaking the truth to us. They tell us, first of all, what God loves. God loves courage. And after they tell us what God loves, celebrating it, they come to us and they make a call. They say, be men, be women of courage because God delights in that. But as we begin to think about these lists, we see this courage is difficult. And as we think more about this, we we understand that, that courage is hard because we are all nature cowards, children of our first father, Adam. But that is not all that must be said about these two lists. There's more truth here. and What needs to be said next is so obvious. It's sitting right on the surface of the text. It is possible to be a man. It is possible to be a woman of courage. Think about it. It is possible to be a man or woman of valor. Each name, each deed speaks of the powerful and effective grace of God. These men, all of them were born of the same father. We share the same parentage as all of these men, Adam. They were born with the same sort of heart as us, with the same wiring and faulty circuits opposed to courage. But by the grace of God and the power of the covenant of grace, all of these men became something different. And so these two lists ought to be viewed as gems of God's grace. Each name sparkles and shines and points to the powerful working of God's grace in the lives of sinners. And so here we need to ask all sorts of questions. Well, how do I become courageous? What steps do I need to start taking? Where do I start? What do I need to do? How do I go about doing any of this? Now, it has to be said right here, there is no simple way forward. And there is no simple way forward because courage is something that is more caught than it is taught. You cannot gain courage by checking out a book from the library and reading about courage. Courage. You cannot gain courage by looking up on your phone a TED Talk on Courage or taking a university course on Courage. That's not how courage works. Courage is a virtue, and virtues are forged, meaning that virtues take time and and practice and development. None of these men we find in these two lists were born brave. Benaiah didn't wake up one morning and, and see a lion and decide to go down there and kill it on a snowy day. He was prepared for that. The pluck that caused Shamma to take that lonely stand in the lentil field didn't appear out of nowhere. He was prepared for that. All of these men were trained by God's grace for years. And so when the pressure was applied, they were already trained in what to do. And we see that there are no shortcuts or courage hacks. And so with the remaining time that we have, I want to set before you an anatomy of courage. What these two lists do as we inspect them and work through them is give us the principal parts of courage. They let us see and dissect courage. And as I work through these two lists, giving you the principal parts of courage, this is the work you need to do. First of all, you need to mark them down. Ah, that's what courage is. And then after marking them down, you need to start to ask God for them. Praying, God, would you, would you give me that? I want that. Would you be pleased to give me that by your grace? And then after asking God for them, you must start striving after them. And so here's an anatomy of courage from these two lists at the end of 2 Samuel. We can start with this. Courage has a heart. Courage has a heart. Take, for example, the story of the three unnamed men in chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. David is holed up in the in the stronghold in the mountains, and the, the Philistines are occupying his hometown of, of Bethlehem. And as you think about this whole matter, this must have grieved David to the core. Here is David. He is displaced, he is hiding out in the mountains, and they are the enemies of God. And where are they? They are living in his hometown. So David is grieved, and what does he do? He speaks like a man full of grief. Chapter 23, verse 15. Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem by the gate. So there are these three unnamed men, and what do they do? Well, they hear David's desire and after hearing David's desire, they, they strike out from the stronghold. They charge through the Philistine defenses. Then in the midst of the fray, try to imagine this. There is fray. They're charging through these lines. They get to the well and they're pulling up water in the midst of battle. They get the water and then they charge back through the lines and bring it to David. Now just ponder all of that for a moment and ask a question. Why did these three men fight their way into Bethlehem, grab some water, and fight their way out of Bethlehem? Did they do it because of their hatred for the Philistines? Well, I'm sure these men did not like the Philistines at all, but I don't think that's the answer of why they did this. Did they do this because it was a strategic move? No, they didn't capture the town, they didn't drive out the Philistines, they simply got a pail of water. So we ask, well, what drove these men to do this? What caused them to risk their lives for a pail of water? And the answer is this. They loved David. They loved David. And as the story goes on, David himself recognized what was at root of all of this. It was their love and devotion. And David prized their love and devotion so much that he refused to drink that water. Instead, he treated it as the most prized possession he had. And what do you do with your most prized possession? You give it to the Lord. You give it to the Lord, and that's what David did. Verse 17, he says to the Lord, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at risk of their their lives? And so we see something right away about courage. Courage has a heart, and that means that courage comes from a heart that has deep attachments of affection formed in it. We see it in these three men. These men prized David more than anything else, more than their lives, more than their blood, more than their safety. And so when they heard the grief of David verbalized, it struck their hearts and they were willing to do anything to bring a measure of comfort to their leader. They were probably saying as they went, all for David, all for David, all for David. And so courage has a heart. We can keep working. And working through these lists, we we see also that courage has a set of eyes. Courage has a set of eyes. The days of David's mighty men were not easy days, not at all. There were giants in the land. These men were bred tall and strong. Some of them had these unique and terrifying oddities, six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, and all of them, it seems, were outfitted with superior technology. Some of them had new weapons that the the Hebrew text, you can't even discern what it was, but apparently it was something rather extravagant. And not only did the Philistines have an advantage with these giants, but across the board, the Philistines always had the upper hand. They always seem to muster more men for battle and these men always seem to be better trained and equipped and and readied for the fight. And so what do the eyes see? Well, the eyes see as we look into these texts insurmountable odds, insurmountable obstacles and hindrances one after another after another. There are giants in the land. There are vast armies, bigger and stronger. And what do people do when they see insurmountable obstacles and hindrances? They give up. And that's exactly what Israel did. They fled from the giants and they fled from the armies of Philistia. They ran away from the battle lines. And here we ask a question, well, what did David's mighty men see? Well, surely their eyes were working and they saw everything that everyone else saw. They saw giants they saw the armies, they saw the back of their fellow Israelites as they were running away. But here's the difference, they also saw something else. They saw with the eye of faith the presence and mighty power of Yahweh to save. And the text keys us into this. Consider Eliezer the son of Dodo in his valiant fight against the Philistines. The text makes this comment in chapter 23 verse 10. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Or consider Shammah the son of Agi and his lonely stand in that field of lentils. The text makes the same comment. Chapter 23, verse 12, "...and the Lord worked a great victory." So what was going on with these men? Well, these men worked with a conscious knowledge that their God, Yahweh himself, was for them and with them and working great deeds of salvation. They could see the immense power of the Lord, and they knew that the Lord was ready and ever eager to intervene for the sake of his people. And as we think about it, this is the sort of faith that has been modeled for us throughout the book of First and Second Samuel. Go back to Jonathan. Do you remember him? That is the same sort of faith that Jonathan had. Do you remember when he faced the garrison of the Philistines and the cowardice and inaction of Israel was everywhere? Nobody was doing anything. Jonathan turned to his armor bearer, looking at him and spoke these words filled with faith. 1 Samuel 14.6 Come, come. Let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord by saving by many or by few. Let's go. And this is the very same faith that was work in David. Do you remember when he squared off with Goliath before the battle began, before he hurled that stone into the forehead of Goliath? He did something before that. He did what? He hurled words Of faith at the giant. 1 Samuel 17, 45 through 47, David said, And that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or with a spear. For the battle is Yahweh's and he will give you into our hands. I think these men in these lists were saying the same sort of things. Speaking like Jonathan. Nothing can hinder the Lord by saving by many or by few. They're speaking the words of David, their, their captain. The battle is Yahweh's and he will give you into our hands. You see how courage works. It comes from a set of eyes that can see beyond difficult circumstances to the power and presence of God himself. And therefore, for David's mighty men, circumstances did not set the agenda of their lives, nor did they determine the outcome. Rather, their courage was derived from a vision of God and his great saving power. So courage has a set of eyes. Moving further into this, these two lists, we also see that courage has a backbone. Courage has a backbone. And so as we look at these scenes depicted for us among these lists, and as we use our imagination with the other scenes, we find the same sort of thing happening in Israel. Battle lines are foreign. Philistines present themselves, and Israel keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again they retreat, they run. And this is what we've seen throughout the narrative of First and Second Samuel. Israel is on the run again and again and again. Now look at these men listed for us in these two lists. We don't find them retreating or cowering or running. Rather, we find them standing their ground, fighting and making advances, even if all by themselves. Take, for example, Shammah, the son of Agi, in chapter 23, verses 11 through 12 the philistines they they muster their forces and they move them and ready them at lehi and israel aware of what was going on presumably saw their numbers and made a few business decisions and decided to run away from the battle lines they've got the upper hand we're not going to fight here we're running but then there was shamma and there was a farm field of lentils and he planted his feet and he refused to move them, deciding to defend that field no matter the cost. Now imagine some of the conversations. Let's use our imaginations. Imagine some of the conversations that might have happened between Shammah and the men who were running from the battle lines as the Philistines came. One man might have said to Shamma, Shammah, you've got to get out of here. Don't you see? This is suicide to stand there in the field. It would be suicide if all of us faced the Philistines, but you by yourself? Think about your wife and your children. Don't be a fool. You are such a fool if you stay here. Another man might have said to Shamma, "Shamma, stop talking like this. You are so unreasonable. There is a time to fight and there is a time to run. How can you be so sure that you are right and that Yahweh will save you? It is time to run, let's go. another man might have came to Shammah and said, Shammah, you are so stubborn. Better yet, I can see into your heart, you're full of pride. This is about you. You think you can stand there and take on the Philistines, humble yourself and get out of here like the rest of us. And as we think about this, this is what makes courage so difficult It's difficult to do, and it's also difficult to discern. Courage isn't courage unless it seems unreasonable and foolish and prideful to everyone else. You see it, nobody was standing with Shammah. And we see this even in David's life. Going back to the story of David and Goliath, David was met with an onslaught of comments and criticism. David's own brother Eliab called him evil and told him that his heart was full of presumption and pride. 1 Samuel 17:28. Saul told David that he was just a youth, insinuating that he was unfit and unprepared for the work, that this whole thing about David going against Goliath was completely unreasonable. 1 Samuel 17:33. Even Goliath had something to say. 1 Samuel 17, 43, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Clive is looking at this situation. Here is this young man, unseasoned in war. What is he saying? This is foolish. And as we think about it, no one stood with David. No one confirmed him. No one backed him up. In fact, many stood opposed to him. And so what does courage come from then? Well, it is this. Courage is built upon a backbone. Just as Shamma planted his feet and would not be moved, courage is fortified with a steel spine that consists of resolve and a spirit that refuses to wither or melt when it has seen the power and presence of God and has set his affections upon that God. Courage is built upon a backbone. And even when people call a man of courage or the woman of courage unreasonable or foolish or proud, they stick to it. One last part to courage I want to set before you. Courage has a set of hands. That's simply to say, courage doesn't remain in the realm of ideas. You can think about courage all day, but that doesn't make you a man of valor you can love courage so much so that you like to watch movies with courageous people. Perhaps you like to watch Braveheart again and again and again, but that doesn't make you a man of valor. Courage is a thing of action, the brave act, and are known by their actions. Each of these men listed, even if what they did wasn't listed in the text, were known by their actions. It is what they did who revealed, that revealed and established their courage before Israel and before the Lord. Let's look at Eliezer, the son of Dodo, chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. Again, Israel flees. And David rises up, and so does Eliezer, and they defy the Philistines. And then verse 10 says this Eliezer arose and struck down Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to his sword. How do we know that Eliezer was courageous? How do we know that he was a man of valor? It was his hand. It gripped the sword, never letting go of that sword during the course of battle. He gripped that sword and he swung it again and again and again, even when he was weary. He gripped that sword as it spilled blood to the ground. He gripped it tight, even when it was weary. It became so secure in his hand that his hand became one with the sword, even when the battle was over. They would have had to wrench that sword from his hands. And Israel, in fact, we sitting here today, know of Eliezer's courage by what? By what his hand did. He is the man who did not let go of his sword. And this goes for the same of all of the men we find in this, these lists. There's Joshua, Bathsheba, and Abishai, and Benaiah. They are all known for what they did with the spear. How do we know they're courageous? Well, look at their spear. Look at what they did. And all the others as well, though we don't know what they did. And so we see this courage is established and revealed through the works of the hands. Courage is something that can be demonstrated, noted, recorded, and proved. And so there we have an anatomy of courage courage starts with the heart. Courage has a set of eyes, it has a backbone and a set of hands. And after looking at this anatomy of courage, we can better see what God loves and treasures. God loves when hearts work like this, and eyes see like this, and backbones are formed like this, and and hands do these sort of things. God loves that. Even more, we see exactly what God calls us to, what God wants us to be. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems daunting. We look at these men, and they seem like giants. The standard is set high. We, we question, is that sort of courage even possible for me? I know my own heart. I know my weakness and my failures. Can I live that sort of life? And the answer is yes. Yes. And I want to close off the sermon by making an argument for the sake of courage. And it's a, it's a logical argument. It's a, an argument that moves from the lesser to the greater, but I think it is a powerful argument as well. So let's start here. Look at David's mighty men. They were courageous. They had hearts. They loved David and they loved God's kingdom. They had eyes. They could see the mighty power of God. They were convinced that God could save. They had backbones. When everyone else was fleeing, they, they stood their ground refusing to move backwards but always moving forward. They had hands accomplishing all of the deeds that God set before them. Now hear this, especially if you're feeling discouraged or overwhelmed or weak today. Hear this. If you are in Jesus Christ, what you have access to is far greater than what any of these mighty men had access to themselves. If you are in Jesus Christ this morning, what you have access to is greater than what these men of old, these men of valor had access to. Let me explain it. David's mighty men had David. And we've worked through the story. We, we see David, we, we've, saw him. we've seen him. He was a great man, and we can see why men loved him and served him and risked their lives for him. But we've also seen more of David, haven't we? We read through all of 2 Samuel. David could be a scoundrel. In fact, he was. Did you hear how that list ended in chapter 23? It ended with this, and Uriah the Hittite And that's like somebody just played the wrong note in the song because we remember what David did to him. He murdered one of his own mighty men. So David's mighty men had David. But hear this, Christian. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is your king, a perfect and righteous king, a king without defect or blemish. We have a king worthy of all of our affection and love, a king who in fact loves us and we know it, for he laid his own life down for us. Why are we in a better position than the men of old? Because we have Jesus before us, and we know of all that he has done, and he is with us even now. Let me continue to argue. David's mighty men looked with their eyes of faith upon the promises of God. It's amazing, they looked past giants and massive armies and they did what they trusted in the salvation of God but we stand in a better spot. We get to look past the greatest enemy of all. We look past the great enemy of death, an enemy that makes giants and the armies of Philistia look puny, and we see the fullness of salvation. There is an empty tomb and a risen and reigning Savior. We look on the fullness of the promises of God accomplished in the person and work of Jesus. We stand in such a better spot. We know that God saves we know that he can save us from the ground as well. Going even further, David's mighty men stood and refused to draw back. They all had stiff and strong backbones. But we are not outdone here. We are, the author of Hebrews tells us, chapter 10, verse 39, not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And what makes our backbones stronger and our spines stiffer than the men of old? Well, it is our confidence. Hear this. If you are in Jesus, your heart has been sprinkled clean, your body has been washed, all of your sins have been forgiven, and there is nothing between you and your God. God is for you completely, fully, finally. And that is our confidence. Confidence. And so we don't shrink back. We move forward. David's mighty men acted. Their hands, their deeds testified to the grace of God at work in them. But even here... We have the advantage for we live in the fullness of time. We belong to the new man, Jesus Christ himself. We are united to the head and it is Christ through the powerful working of his spirit who gives life to each member of his body. The power of Christ is in you, Christian. The life of Christ is in you. The spirit of Christ is in you, working to fulfill that all that he desires. We are at the advantage Christ has died and he has been raised. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he has poured his spirit out upon his church at work in and through us. And his will will be accomplished. And so, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you discouraged? Hear this, what you have is more than what these men of old had. And so hear the call. Strive after courage. Strive after courage. And strive after courage because you know God loves courage. And he has given you everything you need for courage in Jesus Christ, his son. Praying. And we ought to pray that many more names will be added to the list of the mighty men of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for these texts. We thank you for these two lists. They bring your truth alive. And we have felt your truth this morning. We all have. You call us to courage. And you encourage us on the way. You have given us all that we need in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray now that you would fill us with faith and that you would make our hearts bold and that you would stiffen our spines and that you would set our hands to work. For your son is worthy of our work. And so meet us as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.